So, hey, we are still in our six months journey that we've been on in this series called Great Lives from God's Word. And uh, you might remember that we started this thing almost six months ago with uh, Moses. We went over Moses, went over David, Esther, Joseph, Jesus, Paul, Elijah. And we've been going a ways, haven't we? And so this is probably the longest series. This is the longest series that I've ever done and uh, we've ever done as a church together. But we're finishing with Job, the character Job. And if I'm really honest with you, <laughs> I'm not sure why we ended with Job. <laughs> Maybe it seemed like a good idea at some point. And uh, I think I'd rather have ended up, uh, had him up front and then moved on from Job. I'm just being kind of transparent with you. Uh, but I know that God always has his timing. God's timing is always best. And, you know, if, if I'm going to stay in this, tra- I, I never want to say if I could be honest with you, because that's kind of say, you know, like, aren't I on it? That means I must not be honest at other times. So, but sometimes I'm a little more transparent. You get a little more inside my head than normal. And so today uh, I would tell you that I like to sometimes avoid Job. Anybody? Um, when my Bible reading plan gets onto Job, <laughs> I'm just like, Ur. you know, it's just, and, uh, and it goes to the book. I, I have a hard time staying focused on it. I want to get back to the story of God. I want to get back to some action. I want to get back to, you know, enemies and, and God's people. But let me tell you what, hear this. Job is the story of God. And it is the story of God's people. So, Job is someone that we need to look at and study. And I think if I said today, life is difficult, you'd be with me. You're like, yeah, it can be. Uh, I think if I said to you today, uh, you know, it's just hard sometimes, you'd agree with me. But when we read the book of Job, we're faced with the fact that life is and can be not just difficult, not just hard, not just trying, but what happens when life is unfair? Unfair is harder than just difficult. So let's read. We're going to start reading uh, Job 1, starting in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And maybe you've heard this before, but let's read this. It says, in the land of Uz, there was a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. And he owned 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to hold feasts in their home on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. And when the period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice burnt offerings for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. And then the scene changes. One day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him, on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. 
Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that the flocks and herds spread throughout the land. Now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then. Everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up all the sheep and the servants, and I alone am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another, another messenger came in and says, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties, swept down on your camels, and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at your oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are all dead, and I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground in worship, and he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May, may the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So, let's jump into the weeds here. So the book is written. Job is written by an unknown Jewish author, and this takes place during the time of the patriarchs. When we say patriarchs, we mean Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The book of Job was written really for those who struggle with the question of how God can be good when the world is filled with suffering. That's a big task. Now, the land of Uz was literally just down in where Jordan is now, maybe southern Israel. That was where this took place. And Job the man is quite impressive. I mean, the first thing just kind of talks about, gives a picture of who this guy is. He's a godly man. He's a successful man with character. And we see that he's a good man, he's a good husband, he's a good father. Some believe now, and they will say, maybe you've heard this, that the book of Job is just an allegory, just a story to highlight principles. But Job really happened, it really took place, and we know this because James chapter five and Ezekiel chapter 14 both mention Job the man, he lived. So Job is a person, really, and when I look at this, I'm like, I wanna be like Job. Obviously the first part, right? He makes the right decisions, he has invested well, he's a person of integrity, he honors God, he loves his wife, he loves his children, and then they list his accomplishments and things he's accumulated, his wealth. We see that Job was a very successful businessman. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. You say, what are you gonna do with that many camels? Well, in this day and age, camels transported everything. 
And so he's got 3,000, so basically he's got a transportation service. Basically, Job has a trucking business. He does. And archaeologists have actually found proof that his business was called One Hump or Two Trucking. And I was kidding when I said that. Some of you are like, uh, hey, Job, it's heavy. We got to go there every once in a while, right? He has 1,000 oxen. He's got 500 donkeys, it says. One translation says 500 female donkeys. What's the distinction? Well, one of the, delic- one of the delicacies of the day was donkey milk. Ew. <laughs> but hey, it was a delicacy. But here we see that Job, he, he's a man and he's got a thriving business and family and he lived with the utmost integrity of it all. It keeps going back to... In fact, God calls him when God says, have you considered what? My servant, Job. God looked at Job and said, that is my servant. And he served his family well. Notice he pays attention to the little details, the little things. He would sacrifice for his 10 children. You can tell a lot about a parent by the way their children interact with one another. I'm not saying there are not anomalies. Sometimes our kids can act kind of goofy and go places, but look at his family. It said that his brothers, 10 children, and they gathered together regularly and celebrated together regularly. And not just the guys, but, but they'd invite the sisters. And so they had this extended close family that interacted together. And he wanted to make sure that every one of them were right with God, and so he would sacrifice offerings for each one of them. So. He's very detailed. He, he has everything, and he's a servant of God. But it all changes on a very strange day. I think when the, the scene changes, and it goes to the scene in heaven, that's kind of hard for us to figure out. God is in heaven. His angels present themselves before him, which all makes sense, because the angels are accountable to God. And Satan is there. And I want to go, wait, wait, what? What's he doing there? How come he gets to be there? Well, I think we need to realize, sometimes when we think of Satan, we, we think of the caricature that a lot of literature has given us. He's not some little dude in like a red onesie with a pitchfork, right? The scriptures tell us that he was the most attractive, brilliant, powerful archangels that God ever created. He's not lost his brilliance. He has not lost his power. He is still appealing and beautiful. You say, how can you say that? Because at the end of the book, what does God do? He binds him and strips him of his power. And so until then, he is appealing and beautiful. He's also cunning. He's also insidious. He loves to work behind the scenes and not in a good way. He's invisible, but very real. He has a relentless desire to destroy everything that God loves. He opposes God and his plan, and most importantly, he opposes God's people. We find out through scripture that he is the accuser or the antagonist. And he's among the angels the day that God meets with his angels. And he does what he does best. He's accusing Job. He's accusing Job of only serving God because of what he can get out of him. He's saying he serves God just for the blessings, for the benefits. 
Take away the blessings and he's going to fold like a cheap suit. He will leave God and turn away just like everybody else does when times get hard, when things get unfair. For a better understanding of the story, I was reading and uh, Eugene Peterson wrote on this. And you might remember Eugene Peterson was a theologian and writer that, that did the message translation. And this is what he says about Job. It is not only because Job suffered that he is important to us, it is because he suffered in the same ways that we suffer, in the vital areas of family, personal health, and material things. Job is also important to us because he searchingly questioned and boldly protested his sufferings, and he went all the way to the top with his questions. It is not the suffering that troubles us, It's the undeserved suffering. Almost all of us in our years of growing up have experienced disobeying our parents and getting punished for it. When that discipline is connected with a wrongdoing, it has a certain sense of justice to it. When we do wrong, we get punished. But one of the surprises as we get older is that when we come to see that there is no real correlation between the amount of wrong that we commit and the amount of pain that we experience. An even larger surprise is very often when something quite the opposite, we do right and we get knocked down. We do the best that we are capable of doing and just when we're reaching out to receive our reward, we are hit from behind, blindsided and sent reeling. So I think that's the really thing, it's like, This is no easy read when we see it's so hard to see all the suffering on this one man and that he endures. And he doesn't just endure, he endures in a very short period of time. He's reeling from one disaster after the other. And then we'll see if you would have kept reading, Satan goes back to God and says, now, you know what? You haven't touched him physically, so he's going to fold then. And God says, okay. And Job breaks out and painful, itchy boils all over his body. And he's suffering. And he's further tested. In which his wife tells him, curse God and die. (laughs) Thanks, honey. Right? If Job's life was a country song, it would go like this. I can't eat by day, I can't sleep by night, and the woman I love won't treat me right. (laughs) I gotta put this in here, we're all gonna get depressed. Hello? Right? But Job is in a terrible place very quickly. And he's sitting covered in these skin sores. And he's swollen with fever. He's got a maddening itch. And he looks up and he has three friends that arrive. And the Bible says that they just sit there with him for seven days and don't say anything. Their friend is hardly recognizable. And finally, they speak to him, and their best answer that they can give him is, you're probably getting what you deserve. (laughs) What? On top of all that, on top of all that, his wife says, curse God and die. His friend says, you probably deserve this. On top of all that, God seems silent. It's unfair. What do we do with unfair? And... 
Now you know why I tend to like read other books instead of Job, right? <laughs> I'm just like, you know, let's get back to Joshua when he was kicking tail and taking names, right? But Job's is, it, it's, it's important to us and it's one of the oldest pieces of literature. Some believe, theologians believe, this is the first book ever written. Dating back to the days of Genesis. Martin Luther called it magnificent and sublime. The Scotsman Thomas Carlyle wrote, there is nothing written, I think, in the Bible or out of it of equal literary merit. And you might remember Victor Hugo, the famous French poet. He said, Job's is perhaps the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. Wow. There are things we can learn from Job. And that will be, it's gonna be invaluable to us as we read through this. And again, this is just an introductory look at a very long, complex book. There's no way in three weeks we're gonna be able to go over all of this. But I want you to understand and see perhaps kind of from a 50-foot flyover some principles, a picture today. So four principles that we learn from the book of Job. First of all, there is an enemy that we encounter We cannot see, and he is real. I don't know why we have this problem with understanding that our enemy is real, because this is not a game. And the enemy's job, according to Jesus himself, is to steal, kill, and destroy your life. I don't know why sometimes when bad things happen or difficult things happen, we're surprised by it. Like, how could this happen? Well, we all have an enemy. He's all working behind, he's working behind the scenes in all of our lives trying to do this. I don't know why we mess around with compromise ever. The book of Ephesians says this, we don't wrestle against people, flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, present darkness. Wow. We watch the news and we get so shocked. Of course our world is gonna be confused and disillusioned and running from God and making every form of darkness kinda out to be light somehow. It's the enemy's oldest playbook. Let's just turn everything upside down. Let's just, let's just flip it and you'll think darkness is light and you'll think light is what you don't want. And we learn from this story and we see throughout scripture that the accuser is real. His desire is to ruin your testimony, to get you to compromise, to get you to cut corners, to make you out to be a liar. If it means ruining your family relationships in the process, he will go there. Whatever it takes to bring you down, he will try. We have an enemy that is very real that we cannot see. There's nothing else that gets you up in the morning to start your day with God. It should be that fact right there. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. These are all true things, but the Bible also says that Jesus is there every day praying for us. Satan is accusing us, but guess who's praying for you? Jesus. So I don't want you to get it too, but we gotta realize that this is real. Second thing is that there are trials that we will endure that we do not deserve, but they're permitted. Right there, this is hard. I don't understand this fully. Life will include trials that we don't deserve, but we must Endure them. There's a mystery to God's will. We will not know the answers until we get to heaven. In fact, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13, the great love chapter. He says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully when we get to heaven. 
He's talking about being in heaven. Even as I am fully known, there is a day that you will understand it all. This side of heaven, we can't. And if we insist on knowing it all or thinking we can understand it all, we're gonna try to, try to make sense of God's will on our own. And I don't know if you ever heard anybody says, well, my God wouldn't, <laughs> or the God I serve wouldn't. And we try to start saying, well, the God I've got in my head is gonna be, how many know that's gonna be inadequate? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God but the things revealed belong to us. What is he saying? In life, things that I can see, that's what belongs to me. The secret things of God, they're God's. And there's gonna be this tension until I get to heaven. We're almost there, but not yet. This tension that I've gotta live with what I can see and know that God knows what I don't know. One day, I will know. One day, I'm gonna get to heaven and go, oh, I was so stupid. Here's this truth today. Even though we don't know it all, we do know that God is in control. The number three is this. There is a plan we explore we will not understand, but it is best. In addition to the truth that God is in control is the fact that only God can make good out of bad things. Only God. You know what? I can take something that's really good and I can screw it up probably have some testimonies in the room here. Maybe you might want to remind me of a time, right? I can take what's good and screw it up. I cannot take something bad and turn it into something helpful and good. That's God's job. Only God can do that. The Bible says that God works all things together for good, right? Job's disease, not good. But God is working all things together in an overall plan for the good. And we see this pinpoint in time. Or it's kind of like this. Next Saturday is the, is the old-fashioned festival parade. It's like walk, watching a small town parade through a knot hole in a fence. We're just like, whoa, that looks wild. That is weird. Why? We don't have the full picture, do we? We don't have the full picture. We just aren't getting everything, but we need to know that God is working it, no matter what we see, no matter what we feel, God is working it for our good. And number four is that there are consequences we experience we could not anticipate, but they are necessary. I don't know how much of this is relating to you today, but there's so much that's gonna happen to you that honestly, I can say, and we know that we just don't deserve. It's that undeserved part. And I can say that with confidence. It's like, how much bad do you gotta do to deserve something horrible happening to you? I've got a friend right now that's recovering from cancer. Massive tumor had to be removed. There's no amount of wrong he could do to deserve having to go through what he's going through. It's hard when things come and We could never anticipate them. We never thought it could happen to us, but it does happen to us. And man, it's it's human nature just to say, God, this is not fair. I didn't have divorce on my timeline of Dave's successful journey. Hello, anybody? Mine kind of went like this. I knew I'd have some bad days, but that? 
I had it that my spouse and I were going to have the notebook kind of life, not losing him or her before. So how do we know that it's going to work out? Because God says that before you're even created, before time began, he's got this thing all worked out. In fact, David said it this way in Psalm 139. For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Wait, did you see that? He said, all the days ordained for me, all the days ordained for Job were written in his book before he came to be. God knew what Job's life plan was gonna be. He knows. God knows. He had a plan before creation. I heard a story of a man that in a matter of a two-month period, he lost his wife and his infant daughter. The grief, the pain, the mourning had to be more than one person could bear. He loved God. Jesus was active in his life. And when someone said, how can you ever survive that? He quoted Charles Spurgeon that said, God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. When I cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Sometimes it's gonna feel like that God is silent. And we're gonna think, you're not even there. There are times in that silence we might not even feel his presence and wonder, man, maybe that belief that God just wound up the world like a top and just let it go and is just standing from afar watching us like a little ant struggle up a hill. But God knows the way. And God knows where we're going. You know, I, summer's vacation time. And as a kid, we would go on vacation. Three older sisters, me, four kids, all fit into a Buick LeSabre. Anybody? My dad had this thing about Buicks. About 10, 15 years old, baby run like a top, buy it from some old lady that never sat in the back seat. And we'd go on vacation. You know what? I'm trying to think back. I never worried about how we were going to get there. I never worried that we were going to get lost because my dad was driving. He didn't even have GPS. Anybody have that atlas that's like bigger than your car? Like, I just sat back and went, hey, we'll get there when we're supposed to get there. It's just as I got older and all of a sudden I think I know more and I'm going, why are you going that way? Why are you going this way? I th- 
You know, after living here for 20 years, Sandy moved up here like five years ago, and I'll be taking her somewhere, and she goes, where are you going? We're trying to get to the mall. That's, we're trying to get to Home Goods. Hello, praise his name, right? <laughs> She's like, where are you going? I said, I've lived here a long time. I know, and all of a sudden here, how did we get, we got here. And I hear her telling, I don't know how we get here, but Dave always knows because I've been there. We have a heavenly father that's so far beyond that. And sometimes, sometimes all we can say in the most difficult circumstances and the most trouble that we can ever, God knows and God cares. There's been some of you in the room that I've stood next to you when the unthinkable has happened. And all I can say is, all I know is God knows and God cares. I think our prayer needs to be, God, help me endure because I know that you have a plan. It always includes the best that you have for me. And so in this book, in this character of Job that I'm not going to avoid anymore, I'm going I'm to plow right through this baby. Because there's an enemy that we can encounter that we can't see, but he's very real. And there's trials that I'm going to have to endure that I do not deserve, but they're permitted. There's a plan that I need to explore that I'm not going to understand until I know and I'm known fully, but it's best. There's consequences that I will experience that I could not anticipate, but they're necessary. I think when we get to heaven and we understand what eternity looks like according to a life on earth and how tiny that little, little tiny scratch on the timeline of eternity, that little time, and then we have eternity, we're going to look back and say, I was so worried about that. You know, my scratch life, my scratch car, my scratch income, I was so worried about it. And we get to heaven and go, eternity, wow. I was so worried about that. Job shows us that no matter what happens, God is, is going to be there. The story is going to be told. It's going to come around. It's going to be made sense of. You have a heavenly father that knows the way. Sit back, let him drive. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for books that are uncomfortable, but we go into anyway. Thank you for your servant, Job. I've learned so much even this past week just studying what a phenomenal man of character, business brilliance, such a great dad. I can't imagine what it would be like to stand next to 10 freshly dug graves and then not be able to stand at all. I can't imagine. But as I continue to work through, I see that he learned something about you that he could have never learned otherwise. And whether our story is like Job's and by the end we're going to learn what we need to learn, or maybe in heaven we're going to know and fully know. God, I pray that you would give us the grace and the ability. God, I pray for those in this room right now that are having difficulty 
or there's family issues in their life right now, God, I just pray you would just be very close. God, you know and you care. God, I pray for every person in this room right now that's having financial or business difficulties. And God, help us to have that confidence in our mind and heart. As long as we're following you, you know and you care. God, I pray that no matter what the diagnosis has been or what's going on inside of our physical bodies or those we love, God, help us to know that you know the destination and that you know and you care. And somehow, you will work it for our good because you, God, deal with the unseen. Give us the faith as we deal with what we can see. And most times, it's not much. If you're in the room today and maybe one of those areas relates to you or maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you about something completely different, would you just receive that right now and just maybe your prayer would be, God, help me as I insert this into my life. Help me not to leave it in this room, in this chair. Help me to take it with me. If you're watching online, maybe just accidentally or maybe you just bumped into this, well, there's always a reason. We don't believe in random acts. God has you listening for this reason, for this day. Maybe you could say a courageous prayer like, Jesus, help me to follow you more closely. God, help me to lean into you when I don't know what to do. Help me to trust you in the undeserving things that I have to face. Help me to give my life over to you even more so when things are the hardest. Jesus, come into my life. Help me to walk with you. Help me to follow you. Maybe that'll be the first time you pray that prayer. The Bible says that if any person just gives their junk over to God, he's going to come in. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. He'll walk with you. He'll give you a new path. And it doesn't mean that all the problems are gone. What we've talked about today will be your story that even though the path might be difficult at times, you'll never be alone. Never be alone. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would just meet us where we are and help us to walk forward with the knowledge that you know and you care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for that. We're gonna be looking at uh, some of Job's friends uh, next week, and uh, he, he didn't have the best friends. He had some pretty lousy friends, but we're gonna learn how to be a better, better friend than that. Um, if you would stand with me right now, uh, we're gonna open up the prayer wall. Uh, on the left-hand side of the room, there's a wall. People love Jesus and would love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life that we could pray with you about, anoint you with oil. That's biblical. We want to be able to do that. Let us know how we can pray with you and pray for you. And uh, like I said, uh, don't forget next week, just come the same time, but nobody's going to be in here. You'll see us out there. Until I see you again. I was thinking today that Jesus used to say this all the time. Prophets said this all the time. God said this all the time. What he said, do not be afraid. In fact, you know, in the Bible, there's 365 fear knots. I didn't go to Newburgh schools, but that's like the same amount as the days of the year, right? 365. There's one fear knot for every day of your life. And maybe, maybe, man, just in your life right now, you just need, man, don't be afraid. No matter what it is, don't be afraid. Until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that he would turn his face towards you and shine the countenance on your life and give you peace as you walk sometimes the broken road. You're walking it with him. God bless you.
Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.